for joining us for another informative, educational, and entertaining edition of Music and Medicine with Dr. Charles Modlin, kidney transplant surgeon, board-certified urologist, public speaker, and well-known community national leader for the elimination of health disparities, dedicated to informing you, the listening audience, about important health topics and health information that you, your family, and your community need to know while at the same time providing you with quality entertainment because music and entertainment is medicine. Dr. Marlin's co-hosts are Jerome Brown and registered nurse Jonathan Branch. And the program often includes special content expert guests. So, without further ado, here is the host of the show, Dr. Charles Marlin. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another very informative and informational and educational and entertaining rendition of music and medicine. As always, we, ha we have a very important program. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about a very important disease that we think that you should know about, your community should know about, your family should be aware of. It's sickle cell disease. And this is a, a very important topic that we've been wanting to cover for quite some time. I have a lot of information on sickle cell, but um, we have a content expert, an expert in the field of hematology and, and sickle cell disease. So we're going to hear uh, directly um, um, from the expert, uh, Dr. Uh, Tanjay Ba. She's a hematologist at the Metro Health Medical Center uh, here in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so with that, I'd like to actually welcome on uh, my co-host, Mr. Jerome Brown. Uh, Jerome, are you there? What's going on, doctor? Hey, hey. Um, so this uh, this is a very special program in celebration of Christmas, and yes, and it just is. So the audience understands we're gonna we're pre-taping this this evening. Uh, this is an also celebration of the upcoming uh, MLK Day and everything that that represents. So um, I have my Christmas tree behind me. Christmas may be over by the time that this is uh, um, on on air, but uh, but we have to recognize the, the holiday season here. Hey, Doc, we just want to know if you're going to do every host, everybody that comes on tonight, are you going to do them like Oprah? You get a car, you get a car. You, We got seven <laughs> of them, man, so you got seven cars to get. I already got mine picked out, so, you know, I'm Total waiting. Matchbox cars, matchbox cars. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, but, uh, no, we have a very um, important musical guest also. Um, Dr. William Henry Caldwell, and we're going to, you know, introduce him in, in a second, but uh, I wanted to say a few words uh, about uh, Tonya Ba, um, and, and we're going to go ahead and bring her on um, uh, as I introduce her. And again, she's a hematologist oncologist from the Metro Health um, Medical Center, and I'm going to read, um, I, I went to the website, and, you know, so uh, Dr. Ball, she's a graduate uh, from Ross University Medical School. Uh, she did her internship at Louisiana State Health Sciences Center in Shreveport, uh, residency in Louisiana State University, fellowship. Um, she's board certified in internal medicine, uh, also American uh, Board of Internal Medicine Hematology. Uh, but what I wanted to share with the listening audience, um, and if anybody wants to read this themselves, go, you know, you can Google Dr. Uh, uh, Tanjay uh, Baas, uh, and it's spelled B-A-H, uh, her, her um, information on Google. But there are many uh, important um, 
patient comments, um, you know, uh, you know, um, laudatory comments about Dr. Ball. Uh, best in Ohio. She's world class, provides world class quality care. She's nice. She'll go the extra mile for her patients. She's the best provider you can have and just love everything about her. Uh, she cares about her patients. Uh, Dr. Ball, listen, she's very interested in your opinion. She educates you and then helps you make the best decision for yourself. She's culturally competent. She's a caring person who I would recommend to any of my family or friends. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that says it all. Um, you know, we, when you can get comments from your patients like that, that, that says it all. So, um, are we able to bring Dr. Ball on now? Is she, is she available? Hey, there you are. Th those are some impressive uh, comments from your patients. Uh, outstanding work, outstanding work. So yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, you're here with me and, and Jerome Brown. Dr. Ball, how you doing? I am good, Jerome. Thanks for having me. Good. So we're here to talk about um, something that um, you're an expert on, one of the, the leading experts in the country, sickle cell disease. So uh, we know that it affects predominantly African-Americans, people of sub-Saharan descent, uh, India, uh, South America, that kind of thing. Um, but um, again, you're the expert. People didn't tune in to hear me talk about it. They, we want to hear you um, talk about sickle cell. How, how, how much of a problem is it? Uh, for the for the black community, for example. Looks like Dr. Ball may have, be having some technical uh, issues, uh, Jerome, but um, are you are you there, um, Dr. Ball? Uh -oh. So she'll log back in, but I, but I do have a little information. So uh, sickle cell disease affects millions of people throughout the world. It's particularly common uh, amongst the ancestors who came from sub-Saharan Africa, Spanish-speaking regions in the Western Hemisphere, South America, Caribbean, Central America, Saudi Arabia, India, and Mediterranean countries such as Turkey, Greece, and Italy. And it affects about 100,000 Americans, occurs in about one out of 365 Black or African-American births. Hmm. Um, in Hispanics, it, it's about one out of every 16,300 Hispanic births. So you can see that it's more prevalent in, in black or African-Americans. Uh, and also there's something called sickle cell trait. About one in 13 black or African-American babies is born with sickle cell trait. That, that's wow. different than the sickle cell disease. So uh, Dr. Barr, are you back with us? Yeah, it looks like she might be having some technical difficulties. And, and this is what can happen, you know, in this age of di digital technology. And, and yeah, of course. So, so we understand that I, I've had that uh, uh, issue before. And Dr. Um, Barr, whenever you uh, your signal comes back in, just start speaking so we know that you're uh, with us. Okay. And then we'll, we'll go to you. But Dr. Ball sees patients at the uh, Metro Health Medical Center. Her, her phone number where anybody can reach her is 216 seven seven eight seven three two eight um so again this so is I have a, a question doc i have a yes. question yes your, your natural person that is not a medical uh, uh technician or in college we want to know what exactly is sickle cell what is yeah. that so it's a hereditary condition it doesn't occur spontaneously um again dr ball would know more about it but it's a hereditary condition you where you can actually um, 
and you so when when um when somebody is born you inherit genes from both your mother and your father and your mother and father can carry the sickle cell uh, gene um if you get a gene from your mother and father and if they are both the sickle cell gene then that's called uh, homozygous and, and you have you will develop sickle cell disease um, sickle cell trait is if you just have, and Why if not? you have sickle cell disease, you will be symptomatic. Sickle cell trait is when you just have the gene and you're not necessarily symptomatic. Uh, you can actually, some people with sickle cell trait will have um, some minor symptoms. And, and so sickle cell disease causes malformation of your red blood cells. You know, your red blood cells are produced by your bone marrow um, and they because of the trait, they sickle, you know, normally they should be a, a, a concave, like a flying saucer almost. Uh -huh. um, and your red blood cells, um, um, there's iron um, in your red blood cells that actually oxygen attaches onto okay. um, that carries oxygen through your bloodstream to your lungs. And when you breathe in, that it attaches to the red blood cells and circulates that oxygen to the rest of your body. And so patients with sickle cell disease, um, because they don't have the appropriate oxygen carrying capacity on their red blood cells. And because of that sickle shape, when it, when that, when those blood cells get down to the smaller capillaries, they can become lodged uh. um, and obstruct the flow of blood. And that actually can create intense, pain and, and, and discomfort uh, in your joints, in your abdomen. It can affect your kidneys, your spleen, your liver, uh, your lungs, your heart, your brain. Um, I, I've spent the majority of my career performing kidney transplant surgery. And then there are uh, individuals who wind up developing what we call end-stage renal disease kidney failure from sickle cell. And mm. uh, some of these individuals require um, kidney transplant. Is, is Dr. Ball back with us? Uh, I'm not sure if she's able to hear us or not, but um, can you hear us, and, Dr. And, Bob? And and what happens is a lot of these individuals they they have repeated uh, sickle cell crisis, and again that's where their their blood is it's it's more viscous, it's thicker, and it it's it, it it's it becomes very sluggish, um, wow. and that can lead to repeated episodes of severe pain and discomfort, requiring uh, repeated visits to the ER emergency room. Uh, where individuals oftentimes need uh, very uh, powerful, potent narcotics uh, to treat their pain. Yeah. You know, one one treatment is um, blood transfusions, um, and that's one reason why the red the the American Red Cross um, oftentimes is looking for um, uh, blood donors uh, okay. because these individuals need blood transfusions. Again, there there's more advanced um, um, therapy that you know Dr. Ball would know more so than I. Um, in terms of how, you know, uh, this is, this condition is, is, is treated. Uh, if we're not able to get her, um, on, we will, um, uh, get her back on. So the, you know, for the benefit of, of the, the viewers, um, but we thought this, this was a very important topic, um, to cover. <clears throat> we actually do have, um, some individuals, uh, from, uh, sickle cell support group, uh, from kindred, uh, uh, Kincaid Kindred, Kindred Spirits. We're going to bring them on in a second, but first I wanted to introduce our entertainer. And again, this is music and medicine. Um, we know the viewers tune in for this very important medical information, but they also 
uh, tune in, not to be bored by me, but to be man. entertained by. Uh, we don't like dry turkey <laughs> on the holidays, man. Right, right, right. We got to have some juice in the turkey, man. Come on, yes. man. So you're, you're an entertainer, you know, Jerome. <laughs> But but actually, uh, Doctor Ball, it looks it looks like you're, oh, you're so able you, to hear us. You think I'm funny, huh? You think oh, I'm funny? Oh, you, oh you, you very much are. You know, it, it's uh there there was a movie with Joe Pesci. I won't go into it. You think I'm funny? You <laughs> yeah. think I'm funny? You know, but Doctor uh, Ball, you back with us? Are you with us now? So yeah, it looks like she's still having. Some I can hear work. you now. Sorry about that. Oh no, we can hear you too. Good, good, good. So. Um, you know, I just kind of gave a, a ah. general overview of sickle cell, which is at the elementary level comparative to your knowledge. And, and I was talking about how sometimes these individuals often, you know, these individuals have to resort going to the ER over and over again. A lot of times, unfortunately, they're, they're mislabeled as drug seeking, which they're not. They're in actual real pain. Um, and I was talking about how a lot of times uh, blood transfusion is the treatment. But again, I'm sure there's other more advanced treatment options now than there were when I was in medical school. So maybe you might uh, tell the listening audience, maybe, you know, how, how do you manage patients now with, with sickle cell disease? So Dr. Madlin, you are right. Uh, in the past, we, we have used blood to support our patients with medicines that are used to, uh, you know, to support sickle cell, you know, like to support our patients. Uh, one of them, uh, we have uh, monoclonal antibodies that are used. Uh, we call it a DAC view. We also have uh, voxelator. There are different medicines that are used now. And I think uh, there, is, there is hope in the field uh, we have uh, great, uh, you know, improvements in uh, in supporting these patients, and there is the chance that these patients can be cured from their sickle cell with gene therapy and uh, stem cell transplant. That is the new, you know, that's that's where we are going to right now, and you know, I see that sickle cell has a bright future in. Um, you know, not long now, our patients will be cured from sickle cell. And this is something that we never thought of in the past. Wow. That, that's remarkable, uh, Jerome. And, and I do know remarkable. that, yeah, Super and I do know remarkable. that Metro Health is developing a, a stem cell program. So that, that that's going to be happening right at Metro Health. That is correct. That yeah. is correct. So it will be here at Metro. We have the doctors with that desire to help these patients. It's a special population. And like, like you rightfully said, many people uh, do not understand this disease. Yeah. And they mislabel them, but I've been really hard to make change, you know? Yeah. Hey, so, Dr. Bob, yeah, sure. yeah. What, what caused you to get into the field? What's your passion? Yes, Jerome. <laughs> so, um, I was seven. born in Cameroon. That's a country. It's in West Africa. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, uh, my family we we never had a sickle cell patients. Remember my neighbors, uh, it was a couple. They had um, this 
this family, their children are before they are three years old. And you know, they were labeled as uh, the witchcraft family. So I grew up thinking sickle cell was like a curse, a witchcraft, wow. you know. And my family, because all of the children were healthy, we were labeled as the family that was blessed. Oh. You know, and growing up and learning more about the disease, I found out, you know, there is something that could be done that I can do. And I felt the call to go in and learn about this disease and not just help the people here, but go out and educate, you know, patients. So once a year, I go out to Uganda to a little tribe where they have a lot of sickle cell patients. The children die yeah. really early. I go there and I spend a month with them, educating them, teaching, you know, like providing some medical help to them. Right. That's wonderful. Have you seen that family since you become, you come back here? Have you seen the family that you grew up near? No, I haven't. I haven't seen them. You know, I, um, we lost contact point as we were up, but they have all kids were born at the same time with uh, the, the siblings and my siblings right. and they would you know, they die and my family was doing well I didn't think there was nothing we did to deserve all you know yeah all of that and I don't think they did anything to deserve all that suffering too yeah, yeah so when I had the opportunity to be a doctor I felt I could bring that change maybe not to this family but there are other families that need that education you know, that help, yeah. So if somebody has sickle cell trait, do, what do they need to know? So should it, should everybody, should every, for example, so, should every black um, person be screened? I recommend you're screened. Right now in the States, it's part of the newborn screening, whether you're white or black, it doesn't matter your background, everyone is screened. In the past, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the case. So what I strongly recommend, there's a family tree of sickle, I recommend you take the test because this will help you, um, first of all, to make life changing decisions, the person you marry, like two carriers, if they get yeah. married, there is a chance, there's a 50% chance of, or 20, there's a 50% chance of having a child with a carrier and a 25% chance of having a child with full-blown sickle cell. Yeah. And I think if you know that you will bring a child in, into the world who will suffer from the time they are born, you know, yeah. you would not want to do that. I mean, you will rethink your decision in marriage. So, yeah. So we will be uh, providing free sickle cell screenings at our upcoming Minority Men's Health Fair at Metro Thursday. April the 27th, uh, it's going to be three Metro Health locations, the, the main campus on West 25th Street, Cleveland Heights location in Ohio City. Um, again, that health fair, it's called the Minority Men's Health Fair. It's actually open to everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, and, and, and women are welcome also. So uh, that is one of the screenings that, that's going to be um, made available. Okay. So this is very important information that, that is being presented. I, I want to um, bring in... Um, Somebody who's been waiting in the wings, and and we've been waiting for him for for uh, quite some time um, to get party him. time. It's part, party time, uh, Dr. Party William, time. Yeah, Dr. William Henry Caldwell, um, and he has a very in, impressive uh, resume and, and and CV. I'm not going to read everything, 
Um, but he's a, a resident conductor for the MLK Martin Luther King Celebration Chorus uh, for the Cleveland Orchestra and the, the uh, Classic Roots Community Chorus for the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. He maintains a very active schedule as a lyric baritone, um, and maybe he'll share that baritone voice, voice with us uh, very briefly. Uh, we'll see. He's going to have uh, a couple of dollars, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's had uh, recent engagements with the Cleveland or Orchestra, the Dayton Philharmonic. Uh, um, he's traveled the world. He's a f retired full professor of music at Central State University in, in Wilberforce, Ohio. Um, I mean, he, this guy has so many um, um, accomplishments. Uh, uh, he holds degrees from Stillman College, uh, magnum cum laude from there, University of Texas, um, vocal performance. Uh, he, he studied in Italy, Switzerland, toured extensively throughout Europe, the United States, Asia, um, and the list goes on and on. I, I would actually recommend that uh, you and the audience, you know, Google uh, Dr. Caldwell to, to um, even learn more about him. So with that, uh, in, you know, can, can we uh, bring Dr. Caldwell to the stage? Oh, there, there he is. There he is. Oh, man. The, the man, the man. The yeah, man with the million dollar hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The million dollar hair. I call this my pandemic hair. I did not get a haircut during the pandemic at all because I didn't go to the barbershop. So what yeah. you see is what you get. But, but thank, you so much for, thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, Dr. Bob, I, I wanted to ask you some questions, even though I'm going to talk about music, but my niece uh, has sickle cell and she's, in fact, she's about almost 48 or 49, but she still has times when her body just kind of shut down. And I've heard about this all my life. So it was very good to hear you speak on it. And, and I feel better because I was under the impression that uh, African-Americans got sickle cell because uh, where we came from, we needed the sickle cell to fight off malaria. Now, is that true? Was that true? Give us some time here. Okay. <clears throat> Doc, did you hear of anything about that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, from what I understand is, um, you know, obviously malaria is, is endemic in, in, in Africa. And, and um, I don't know if is Dr. Ball, is she uh, able to respond, but, but, you know, what, what was noticed was these individuals who had this sickle cell uh, trait and, and disease didn't acquire malaria. Again, that's my understanding. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was protective. It was a protective gene um uh, against acquiring malaria um but obviously you know in most countries nowadays that that's not a major issue uh, especially in the united states and then uh it, it leads to much pain and suffering and, and again it, it's very disturbing that this uh, affects our young children um yeah, yeah. Uh, adults and, and children alike but um so yeah no it, it's uh, something again that that dr ball you know recommended that everybody get screened you know, now it's a requirement for regardless of your race or ethnicity that, you know, when you're born, you get screened. But for those of us who are older, uh, you know, many of us may not have been screened. So yeah. um, and what actually was enlightening to me is that Dr. Ball said there's hope uh, in the future, you know, gene therapy to where this is a disease that can actually be cured. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, so Dr. Caldwell, you know, I've, I've seen you for years. Uh, I've admired you, um, uh, especially at that, the uh, Severance Hall Cleveland Orchestra MLK concert. Um, you know, everybody, uh, you know, when you walk in, I, I'm just wondering, how does it feel when, when you walk into all that applause? I've, I've never, I've, I've actually imagined maybe walking into the operating room with people applauding me, but that's never happened. It's never going to happen. Well, you know? when I walk out and they're doing that, it, it relaxes me because um, it proves <laughs> that I have something to offer and they want to hear it. Um, and, and it's always been the case like that at Severance Hall. I, I don't think people are aware, but that venue at Severance Hall and Severance Hall itself was designed exclusively for the uh, Cleveland Orchestra. And the Cleveland Orchestra is one of the finest orchestras in the world, not the United States or Ohio, but the entire world. If you Google yes. it, you know, the top 10 orchestras in the world, Cleveland is going to be in the top 10 and it's going to be sometimes as number one, sometimes as number two, you know, depending on the circumstances. But it has a tremendous history. So when you go in there, you go in there knowing that you've worked hard, that if you're on that stage, you're, you're, you're prepared to be a part of a great legacy, a great history, because if you're good, that's where you go to perform. And yeah. I've, I've been fortunate in that that uh, association reached out to me back in 2003 when I was much, much younger and I didn't have gray hair. And uh, I, I was working with uh, young people in higher education. But after I retired from higher education, teaching in higher education, I could not retire from the art because the art is a part of me. You know, I'm going to take it to my grave. Yeah. And so uh, they brought me back to work with the MLK chorus on a regular basis exclusively with him. And it's just wonderful to see the people that are involved because the ages in the MLK chorus range from like 30 to like 96 or 97 years old. And oh, these wow. are African-Americans and sometimes mm -hmm. they're, uh, other, other people of color and, and other sections of the community participate. But to see the impact that this music has on their spirit, they look forward to it. Some come, come with walkers, <laughs> some come with canes, some of them read music, some of them don't read music, but they all have the most important thing, the desire. They really want right. to do it. That's they, right. and, and, they, and they do it and, and, and they do their best. I don't critique them like I would critique, uh, like I, I would critique a college choir where I would rehearse with a college choir every day, you know, for an hour or whatever. So it can be totally what I want it to be. I can mold it. These mm -hmm. people I see two weekends and then we are on the stage, which also lets you know that they really have to love what they love because they're able to 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 digest all of this music, and then like two weekends of rehearsals, then you know present it on the birthday of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'll tell you, you know, from a from an audience perspective, to us it seems as if you've been rehearsing for six months, you know, with Oh no, 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 so, no, no. <laughs> I don't and know I can, if you should have told everybody that one, uh, Dr. Carwell. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But it shows how gifted and, and, and how dedicated and how talented they are. And I, Absolutely. And I, I keep telling everyone, the Cleveland area, uh, when it comes to the arts periods, classical music, gospel, or what have mm -hmm. you, you know, I mean, you can find it in Cleveland. And uh, even though I'm way down here in Dayton, Ohio, 
You know, I, I find more uh, excitement sometimes up, up north where you guys are. I'll tell you what, I, I actually had a small taste of what it feels like to stand on that stage during that MOK concert. Um, I don't remember the year, it might have been 2008, I forget exactly, but I was one of the uh, MLK Community Service Awards recipients. And, and and I always tell everybody that that was one of the greatest honors I've ever received. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I applaud you. I, I thank you for uh, recognizing Dr. King year after year after year. Yeah. Um, every day is MLK Day. My father always yeah. reminded sure. me about that. Um, sure. but, but that that concert means everything to me. And you are where you are. I am where I am. Dr. Ball's where she is. Jerome is where it's all because of Dr. King provided us those opportunities. So bottom line. And yeah. uh, I, I think we have a, a like a four minute performance that you're going to allow us to, to view. Um, yeah, uh, this was something that we did just last year, but it was doing Juneteenth because we didn't have the MLK concert, but the Cleveland Orchestra wanted to do something for the community, for the total community. So they did a Juneteenth uh, a celebration, uh, and uh, this is, is the chorus singing um, during, during that concert. In fact, we did three spirituals. Um, I forget which one this one is. I, I think it's um, Lord, I Want to Be a Christian. It's a, it's a sorrow song. It's a very slow kind of song. Um, that they were able to capture, you know. A lot of those people, like I said, don't yeah. read music. A lot of them don't read music, but they have that spirit, they have the desire, and they want to do a good job. And for them to extract that from that concert and put it on YouTube, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I guess you want the world to hear it because the world can hear it now. <laughs> so let's, let's let our viewers hear it. Uh, is Russell yeah. there? He can tee it up for us. Russell Johnson. Thank you. Oh, this would be certainly lower. Yes.
Gee whiz. Yeah, that, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank so the, a, a question that I've always had and, you know, the, um, you know, when, when you go off and then come back, um, you know, for the, like the, the audiences uh, for your encore, yeah. uh, and this is a silly question, and you know, um, do you already know how many times you're going to come back or do you, is that the spur of the moment? How many times? You're no, come back I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because audiences, uh, you know, you have to go by how they are and, and, and they don't lie. They don't lie. Um, you can tell when, when, when there is a popular person on stage and someone has a cousin or a relative up there, you know, you, you may hear them loud in the, uh, in the whole hall yelling. But for people that really don't know you and they respect what you do, and they, just like the guys sitting on stage, that they've never heard that music before, but they are captivated by it. In fact, afterwards, they'll tell me how much they enjoyed it and so forth. So I have no idea how long that applause is going to go. I have no idea. So, Dr. Ball, um, you know, we're, we're physicians. You know, we're going to have to have, we're going to have to start taking bows and encores, I, I think, you know. Yeah. You know, so we can see what that feels like. Jerome, what, what do you think? <laughs> hey, <laughs> you guys deserve so much more. I mean, all jokes aside, yeah. uh, the medical, our teachers, you know, people like that that are underappreciated. Uh, you guys have found like some way to channel all of that inside and help others and don't get a lot of accolades for it. You know, so I think y'all like, should get a couple of trophies and some flowers, of course. And and, and like I, mean, I said, I was only joking because you know no, our, no, 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 the satisfaction no. is taken no. care. Of, you know. Dr. Martin Luther King Day with Dr. William Caldwell featuring <laughs> Dr. Charles Mylan and Dr. Yeah. Bob coming to. Am I? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't don't remember, or or they have a tendency <laughs> to forget that Dr. King's wife could have very easily performed with that choir, the Margaret King Celebration Choir. She was a classically trained opera singer. She was a okay. soprano. Coretta Scott King was a soprano. And right. um, um, they were talented, in fact, that 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 uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church. And I'm proud of the fact that ah. Dr. King's wife and um, Andrew Young's wife all came from my neck of the woods. I'm originally from a place called Demopolis, Alabama. Uh, that's down around Selma, Tuscaloosa, Montgomery. I'm sure you've heard of those, but um, that's where they all came from. So when we get to the promised land, like Cleveland, <laughs> and able to share what we do and find an appreciative audience, you know, that appreciate what we do, because, I mean, when we do this music, I'm not just doing it because it's beautiful. I'm doing it because I experienced it. Yeah. I experienced the the the, the, the segregation. I, yeah. I went to a segregated high school um, uh, until I was in the tenth grade, and then the eleventh and twelfth grade, I had to go to an integrated high school, and I didn't want to go because where I came from was much better than where I was going. For so, sure. Yeah, yeah, much, 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 much better. Even, yeah. even the facilities. Sometimes people think, "Now, how can that be?" Now, where I came from, uh, the African Americans were in a better building. We had, we had, we had more art. All those kinds of things that you can do, and then you go to another school, and they don't have that, and then you don't have that in, uh, opportunity. 
Uh, I went to a school where they did not want blacks and whites singing together. So yeah. I didn't get to sing until I started going to college. So wow. that's another story. Oh, I love Cleveland for, for allowing me to continue mm. my art and everything. And, like and, and we want to see you continue this for another 50 years up here, this MLK concert. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so you're a baritone, and I, baritone. I trained on yeah, I trained on trumpet when I was younger, but I never had any vocal training. So, can you, you know, so there's baritone, there there's tenor, there's so what 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 are you what are the different uh, well oh, well the, the highest of all the voices is the is the soprano and and like the highest soprano voice is called a coloratura soprano. These are Italian terms, of course, okay. and the lowest voice is the basso profundo. Now, when it comes to male voices, the male voices you get tenor, you have tenor, baritone, bass, uh, a dramatic baritone or a dramatic bass. These are terms associated with the male voice. Now, even though you may hear women say they sing baritone and tenor and so forth, they have the range to do it. But but you wouldn't call them a tenor or bass. You'd just say they are contralto. Okay. Or something like that. So I'm a I'm I'm a baritone. I don't sing as high as a tenor, and I don't sing as low as a bass. I don't. My voice is not as deep as Paul Robeson, and it's not as high as Eddie Kendricks with the Temptations. If that can help you. So Even I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, contralto. Um, one of my favorite female singers, Karen Carpenter. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I, yes. I think she was a contralto, from what I understand. Yes, yes, and and yeah. very melodious voice, very easy listening. Oh, very much I, so. Yeah, I I particularly particularly enjoy her singing during the holidays. You know, you know, yeah. Karen Carpenter. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, what what is uh again? You don't, you know, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what? Yes, what you what, got for us, man? Yeah. What, what, what does what a baritone sound like? Yeah. What's yeah. a baritone sound like? Uh, a voice, baritone voice. Um, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. That's a baritone. There we go. <laughs> I, I think, Jerome, before Dr. Caldwell came on, you were you were saying that you're a, a baritone also. Let, let me hear what uh, I was saying that Dr. Ba had the smile of a soprano. So oh, okay. I wanted to hear what Dr. Ba had for the holiday. She was like, she could sing as well. <laughs> no, I... Right. Well, you know, well, you know what, uh, Jerome. I, we I understand. wish you a merry okay. Christmas. We wish you a merry Christmas. I told you. <laughs> I told you. See. So, Jerome, um, we, we have a couple other guests here from Kincaid Kindred Spirits uh, uh, Support Group. Uh, Super Absolutely, group. A couple of great so, people, actually. Yeah, can can we bring them on? They wanted to uh, be part of the program tonight, and they have a, some important information to share. Yeah, first of all, we have uh, Miss Glenda Dames Fincher, who has lived with sickle cell for sixty three years. Glenda has a bachelor of science degree in medical technology, also known as clinical lab science. She was employed in clinical laboratory medicine for 26 years at two uh, major medical uh, facilities. 
10 years as a medical slash legal analyst. Her clinical laboratory experience is predominantly in acute care chemistry uh, and hematology. She presently is disabled but retired. For almost 40 years, Glenda has participated in sickle cell support groups and helped organize and run groups for adults, families affected with sickle cell. And she is an advocate for sickle cell disease treatment, funding, and research at the federal, state, and local government levels. Presently, Glenda is a volunteer medical advisor for Kindred, uh, was it Kincaid Kindred Spirits Incorporated, a nonprofit adult let me see what is this here and let me see where we at a nonprofit sickle cell support and youth mentoring group in cleveland ohio she is also a member of northern ohio american red cross blood services committee and the sickle cell subcommittee which was formed to increase diversity in blood donations and in support of national sickle cell awareness month in september she is also on the health care and criminal justice team of the greater Cleveland congregations representing Shiloh Baptist Church. I introduce Mrs. Linda Dames Fincher, everyone. Yeah, yeah, thanks for joining us. And Jerome, I, I would say, I don't know how she can call herself retired. That's not retired. That's not retired. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I would be yeah. exhausted. I would be exhausted. Retired from making an income. <laughs> 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 Yes. Well, you, you've helped uh, educate and save a lot of lives out there. And, you know, we thank you for your dedication and continued work, you know, to educate people about sickle cell traits, sickle cell disease, um, to let people know that there are resources out there. There's hope out there. Um, I, I know you want to share with us um, uh, something about there. And this is the first I'm hearing about this uh, sickle cell music therapy. Is it? Is that that's something yes. that, yes. Yes, well, um, as uh, you and Dr. Bob uh, spoke about with sickle cell disease, it is a actually a severe anemia. Uh, it is not an iron deficiency anemia, but it's an anemia where our blood cells only last because they are misshapen and they stick together and get destroyed quickly. Um, our blood cells only last about, our red cells only about 10 to 20 days, whereas normal red blood cells last about 120 days. Wow. So you see, we have a severe anemia. Um, so when we have those sickle crises, uh, the cells, the red cells stick to the blood vessels and to each other. This can happen in any part of the body at any time. And as a matter of fact, the wintertime and especially around the Great Lakes right now is one of the worst times for sickle cell patients because cold, uh, uh, getting any kind of infections, viruses, stress, all kind of things like that can cause a sickle cell pain crisis. And the major uh, manifestation of sickle cell starting as early as six months of age is the pain crisis. This pain is beyond anything you can imagine. When I speak to medical school classes, I'm presented to medical school classes and the professor wants me to explain it to them. I ask if you've ever had your hand slammed into a door, or into your fingers, into a door or a drawer, imagine that pain 
starting anywhere in your body all of a sudden. But that, that door is not released. It is pushed and pushed to your bones are crushing. And that you go through that pain for hours, days, and even weeks. This pain can come on all of a sudden. You know, I go to bed tonight fine and wake up in the, in the middle of the night in excruciating pain like this. So since this disease causes so much pain, plus organ failure, all your organs can be affected. Uh, strokes, 25% of people with sickle cell have strokes in starting in childhood. Uh, we have about 25% of us have kidney failure. Uh, our lungs are destroyed. Uh, spleen, by the time we're uh, teenagers, our spleens are totally non-functioning. So if they haven't been removed already. So our joints, we get a major collapse of our shoulder and hip joints. Mm. Um, and we know people as another person that's going to be on here in a few minutes, mm. whose children that I know, uh, whose son is the vice president of our group, uh, and one of his children who passed and we were very close, um, she said one time, sickle cell can cause unbearable pain that laughs at morphine. Jesus. That is how bad it is. If I have a sickle cell crisis Jesus. that I cannot control at home with medication, I have to go to the hospital. They start me on Dilaudid, which is synthetic morphine, which is 10 times stronger than regular morphine. I'm not a drug addict, never have been. Uh, less than 5% of sickle cell patients end up having a drug, any drug uh, problems. But we are discriminated against. We are abused even. Some die being refused care all over this country every day um, because we require, at times, we require strong narcotics and because the majority of us are of color. So um, the pain situation can get you to the point where even as a teenager, you're considering suicide. So I've talked people out of it. We've talked people out of it in our support group meetings from killing themselves. And we have people come to our adult support group meetings. They bring a kid or teenager there and they're shocked that there's some of us with degrees, that we have homes, we have children, families. They're like, you mean I can... I can get to that. And as far as the cures that are out there, University Hospitals has been doing bone marrow transplantation of sickle cell patients, uh, curing sickle cell patients for about 15 years. Um, the thing is, is most of us, uh, and it's been done all over the world for a good 15 years for cures, but the majority of us do not have a good match donor. And so, uh, there's actually few of us that actually get the cure. The gene therapy is still in, in uh, research and in clinical trials. So that's another thing we have besides the medications that the doctor mentioned. The biggest thing is the blood transfusions are still used. I've had over 600 units. I get two units of red blood cells every four weeks for over 20 years. Mm. Otherwise, I would have had my foot cut off from leg wounds. We get severe wounds worse than diabetics. 
uh, I'd be blind. And uh, by now I'd be in heart failure. I've also survived multiple organ failures. When you speak about music, <laughs> I used to sing. I had voice lessons at Cleveland Music School Settlement. I sang in my church, Shiloh Baptist Church, starting even in childhood. But when I got multiple organ failure about a decade ago, only about 5% of us with sickle cell survived that. But um those that survive, their kidney function doesn't come back. Well, God said different with me. And the doctors at university hospitals are shocked because we have an adult program and a pediatric program at for sickle cell at UH. And UH has one of the oldest and best pediatric programs for sickle cell in the country. And so they were shocked that I survived and my kidney function came back. But I had gangrene of my hands and feet. They were black as coal. I still have my hands and feet. God said different, but it took the septum out of the inside of my nose and partially down my throat. So my voice is now. <laughs> Not hey, I was just going to ask you to hear the soprano note. What are you talking no, about? it might go away, especially since my son. <laughs> no, <laughs> but we have, since pain is such a horrible part of this disease, we have a music therapist at University Hospitals. His name is Samuel Rogers Melnick. He actually about, that's been almost a decade ago, he started a research study about using music therapy to help with sickle cell pain crisis. Because at this point, I don't usually have pain crisis. The, the transfusions keep me stable there. That doesn't work for everybody. But I have chronic pain from the uh, neuropathy from the, uh, from the gangrene. And mm -hmm. so we have different types of pain. And since I'm 63, which is actually very old for sickle cell, the average age now is mid-30s uh, to mid-40s. And, uh, but there's some of us that, you know, get older, but we're rare and you have, you end up just having more and more chronic pain. So Samuel Rogers Melnick did a research study about how would music therapy help us. He has become a nationally sought after speaker. He is internationally in international and national journals. Um, and there's a clip that um that i that i'd like you to show uh from him talking about uh doing a therapy okay might tell, um, demonstrate a little bit for us what it's like to be in a session um with you what what are the kinds of tools that you might bring to um to a session with a with an adult Sure. And building off of what Jasmine was saying, you know, um, a few years ago, I was curious about when you're developing a study, it's important to consider what kind of music am I going to use, mm -hmm. right? And so you look to the literature. Well, what is the music you're supposed to use for pain management and relaxation? Oh, it should be slow, orchestral, light piano. You start looking at these studies and hopefully they have like a table one of like patient demographics and it's mostly people that look like me or college students and they don't report the racial demographics right so the patients that we work with are not represented <laughs> in the pain management literature right 
which is why I did a survey study to inform future research that asked 100 adults with sickle cell disease, what kind of music do you listen to when you have pain? Like, tell me the specific song and we'll analyze it. If it's mostly hip hop, it's gospel, it's R&B, it's 808s, it's drum machines, it's this kind of stuff. And so I've, I've been in, I've seen things where music therapists said they weren't going to learn that kind of music. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not going to learn that kind of music? <laughs> like, you have to be willing to encounter the patient's preferred music to make a difference, right? And so building off that, my very first study was, all right, let's take these genres that these patients particularly prefer, hip-hop, gospel, R&B, jazz, and soul. You wanted to marry the creativity that happens in a normal music therapy session with as much standardization as you can put into a randomized control trial. So if you imagine like a 20-minute piece of music, and these are exactly 20 minutes, it starts out at like 70 beats per minute, and then it like descends to like real chill at like 50, and then it comes back up. So same length, same beat transformation, same tempo changes in all five tracks, but the genre is personalized. And then to take it a step further to make it more active, we would use GarageBand and using a diatonic keyboard, so no wrong notes. I get one side, the patient gets the other side, just do a headphone splitter out, right? And we could have a jam session that kind of sounds like this. So this is an example of the gospel intervention, and it's going to kind of go from tempo to tempo in a rapid pace. So it would sound like this. So I might say something. I'd invite the patient to say something back. And as the session would go along, music settles down, patient becomes more creative, more engaged in the process. No musical training needed in this kind of experience. So this is like 55 beats per minute. <laughs> so that's a kind of example of a, an experience where we try to create it's very engaging, but very accessible at the same time. And even in patients who are in excruciating pain, it can slowly, you slowly invite them to engage more and more in the process. And we find that they, they can do this for 20 minutes. My first experience with these patients was actually doing group drumming sessions for an hour. And building off of your prior conversation with Kelly, that's something that music therapists are especially trained to do. We're the difference between simply listening to the music versus engaging the music. We're the people who are there to process. If you have a profound emotional experience and respond to the music, we're there to provide that you know, therapeutic relationship and processing that turns this music tool from something that you're just sort of listening to to something that you're really engaging with to assist with your health. Yeah, I mean, I... Yes, thank you all so much yeah, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you all so much for having me on. Uh, and uh, you've posted, I think you posted from our sickle cell support group, Kincaid's Kindred Spirits. Uh, we've been in existence since 2004. Adrian Kincaid founded our 
organization. So I'd like to have you present at our upcoming Minority Men's Health Fair Thursday, April the 27th um, next year. We'll, we'll be in touch to, um, yes. to have you yeah, have you there. You, yes, our men at, are always are yeah. always there. We usually okay. have a have a table at your at your events. We try to okay. have our guys there. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank so you we. So much. Oh, thank hey, you, Dr. Caldwell. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 I like something. It looked like something struck your nerve over there when we it, listened it, to that music therapy. It, I want to know what was going on in that mind of yours. <laughs> in fact, thank you so much, uh, uh, Glenda. That that was incredible and very very in, informative. When 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 they showed the guy holding up the little pad, just playing in a note randomly. That was achieved by playing only the black notes on the piano, any chord that would in fact the pentatonic scale. That's yeah. something we brought from Africa in our spirit. And oh, wow. and that's the kind of thing that if you you know, when you go to these churches and so forth and you see 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 people singing in various keys and so forth, the person sits down, that's because they have a mastery of those black keys. That's you know, the is. E flat, the D flat, the A flat, the B flat, you know, that, that kind of thing. So he was able to push any uh, any 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 uh, key on that little pad he had, but it, it it would still sound good because it was a part of the pentatonic scale. Well, ah, uh, I knew you had caught something. Like, wait a yeah, minute, yeah, it's like I I'd never seen that done before, and I, I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, my my question, if if this is okay, if I can ask this, if, of course, when you do the music therapy like this, does it ease the pain, or it does it just take your mind off of it? What it does is it it is a distraction. Um, before okay. they even had in all of this, I was born in 1959. At five years old, I was starting to have pain crisis. Uh, I automatically knew having my dogs, I you know, having my dog in the bed with me that I could pet. That was the only time they were allowed in the bed. Uh, the other thing was uh, TV or music. Um, and what Sam has done has actually researched it and shown uh, how this helps us because sickle cell patients are treated by the same people that treat cancer, hemox. But we tend to be left out of all of those other services that uh, cancer patients are offered. Um, in a lot of places, we're left out of that, and we really need that hmm. uh, that pain these pain management skills. And that's that's what uh, he has done and is still doing. I mean, I, I can't say enough about Sam and the work that he's done. We've also got people we can maybe have some people on your show another time that have sickle cell that he has. He shows uh, them performing uh, everything from spoken word to, you know, singing and so forth. Hmm. Um, but yes, Mr. Allen, who you have one next. Um, yeah. Yeah, let's have him come on. Yeah, Mr. Allen. Yeah. All right, Mr. Allen. Is he still there? Yes. I'm here. Okay, we can't see you on camera here. Hmm. Your camera's on the floor. Oh, <laughs> dog. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> hey. Either hey, the, floor the, the floor or the ceiling, you know. We got to be careful what's going on around here. <laughs> Apology. There he is. There All go. right. It says here, Mr. Allen. 
Yes. Former member of the Mid-Atlantic Atlantic Regional Genetics Network and the Alliance of Genetics Networks, not known as now known as the Genetic Alliance. Larry was a member of the U.S. Health and Human Services Department Advisory Committee on Blood Safety and Availability. Larry was appointed to bring sickle cell to the sickle cell community. To wait a minute, how do you have this? Larry was appointed to the to bring the sickle cell community to the regulatory table. He served three terms on this committee. Over the last 40 years, he and his wife have worked with sickle cell organizations in Ohio, Maryland, DC, Richmond, and North Carolina, hoping to connect the sickle cell community to a better level of care. During his time in blood safety, he was approached by the president of the committee of 10,000 the nation's oldest blood watchdog group and has served on this committee since 1999, Mr. Larry Allen. Yeah, welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Thank Allen. Thank you. So from what I understand, you have also some relatives who are afflicted with, with sickle cell disease. Well, I'll start out by saying the first 20 years of our marriage, my wife and I raised two children with sickle cell. Okay. For the next almost 20 years, we raised three children because she had a son uh, who had it. So it, so we ended up for almost 39 years raising three children with sickle cell. Unfortunately, our daughter passed away in 2017. Um, we've, we're, Mom and I are both from Cleveland, uh, but we've left Cleveland twice because we ran up against a wall in terms of finding the level of care they needed at that point in their life. Uh, complications, as you mentioned, uh, kidney failure earlier, both you and Glenda mentioned that. And Dr. Modden, one of the first times I met you uh, was with my daughter at a Red Cross meeting and you had agreed to take on her surgery. But unfortunately, uh, we couldn't keep her out of the hospital enough to pass through all the regulations and, and standards that are set for transplant patients. So. Uh, as hard as it was, we had to take her off of that list because staying on that list has consequences if you are still very sick. Yeah. Uh, and, and at that mm -hmm. point, we left Cleveland again. Uh, she was life flighted to Duke University. And um, the first year there was was pretty good, except there were challenges within the administration there at Duke. And the doctor that we went there to see to work with um had to leave and um then we found another specialist in greensboro north carolina and he started actually uh, a new day sickle cell hospital for people in the region but within months uh he started to have conflicts with the other doctors who didn't understand why he would want to keep some of these patients as long as he did in hospital uh, you know, once you really take on the job of taking care of these patients, that you feel a certain level of responsibility that many of these doctors simply do not feel. So as a result, he literally was removed from his position with the hospital he started, and they turned it over to people who just weren't as experienced as he was. So, you know, it's unfortunate that that's been an issue. Uh, you know, what we all have to understand is 40, 50 years ago, sickle cell was considered mostly a pediatric disease. 
a lot of these patients didn't live into their 60s like Linda. Mm -hmm. So these urban hospitals were not prepared for this large onslaught of adult patients with sickle cell and all the demands that come with that. And that, along with just plain out bias, allowed a lot of these patients to be treated uh, poorly, con continuously. You will talk to people who have gone through excellent pediatric care and then they move on to adult care and, and all of a sudden now they're liars, they're thieves, they're drug dealers. It, it's, it's, a, it's amazing what happens to these kids just going from the pediatric end of the hospital to the adult care that they get in the same hospital, the very same hospital. So that's what's gone on for decades in our families uh, touring, you know, uh, going through this process. And if it weren't for people like Glenda and Adrian who literally reach out and push people to go past their comfort level. You got to understand after, I'm not telling any of you anything new, but once you've been beaten down and told this is who you are, this is how I'm going to treat you, it's hard to believe you're going to get better care somewhere else. So you know, the, you give know, up. You know, you touched on some important things that I'm aware of. Um, like, like you said, that this generally starts, you know, in, in kids at, at very young ages. And, and one thing I do know is that when the kids age out of that pediatric age range, sometimes the pediatricians and, and hematologists let them stay under their care until the early 20s, mid-20s, but then they age out into adulthood. And there are very few resources out there. And, and that's why we do need more uh, hematologists, um, you know, like Dr. Ball. We, we do need specialized um, sickle cell treatment centers um, for adults also. And, and, and these centers have to uh, not only include um, hematologists, um, but also psychologists, uh, social workers, pain management uh, specialists. Um, a, a whole team needs to come together to manage these individuals. General surgeons, urologists, um, pulmonologists, cardiologists, uh, you know, you know, like, like Linda was saying, I mean, you know, it affects all the different organs. So um, we, we do recognize this and, and a lot of physicians, um, again, and, and this is a sad state of affairs, but it, you know, it is, it, it's true. Uh, we need to also better educate physicians, healthcare providers and make them more culturally competent, competent and, um, you know, get past their unconscious biases that these individuals are, are, are drug seeking because they're keep on, they keep on going back to the ER and, and, you know, requiring narcotics. So there's a lot of work that we need to do on, on our end as healthcare providers. And, and, you know, I, I encourage you to continue doing your work. Um, you know, uh, Kincaid's kindred spirits, um, you know, Glenda, I mean, um, you know, w without you, I mean, the, the word wouldn't be out there. And again, you're saving lives. So, uh, it, you know, it's unfortunate that you've had to endure all these years of, you know, pain and suffering, seeing your children uh, suffer in this way. And, and as a result, you've suffered also. And I know that's been a big, big burden on you. Um, so we will, we will have both of you back. We're going to have uh, Dr. Ball back um, because this is a subject, uh, you know, th this is a deep subject matter. And we've covered a lot, you know, this evening. Um, but we need to touch on this more. And, 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 um, 
Uh, I'd like to uh, thank Ken Hawkins, uh, who actually uh, encouraged us to, to cover this topic. Um, so, um, but, you know, I, we, we want to, um, we're up against the clock right now. We want to thank Dr. Caldwell also um, for entertaining us. And, and we look forward to seeing you at the MLK concert on, on the, it's the Sunday um, before uh, MLK Day. That's correct. It's always that always that Sunday. I think it starts at what seven seven o'clock. Yes. Um, so we look forward to uh, seeing you uh, uh, during that performance. Um, and we wanted to thank the audience for tuning in, um, you know, to this program. And and uh, stay tuned for um, yeah, more. Doctor uh, Ball's back. Yeah, Doctor Ball's back. So, uh, thank you, Doctor Ball, for for your your contributing to this show. And we're going to again we're going to have you all back on. And again, thank you. Uh, uh, Dr. Caldwell, uh, Larry Allen, uh, Glenda Dames, uh, Fincher, Jerome, uh, as, as, as always, a great oh, yeah. co-host. So yeah, um, guys. everybody You're stay welcome. strong and, and you know, enjoy your holidays and MLK Day. Thank you. 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 Thank you.